Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. In this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing the changing role of HR and employee experience in today's workplace. I am delighted to welcome John Wallace, a global and influential senior HR professional with extensive experience in leading and delivering major complex transformation projects. He's also a non-exec board member of an international youth development charity called Latitude, which places students around the world to help with community initiatives. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Susie. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. John, we go back a long way and have created and delivered many an employee experience together, although we didn't call it that then. I know you're a great believer in authentic leadership that translates strategy into operations and gets the best out of people and business, and you're thoroughly versed in agile ways of working, particularly in global HR change initiatives. As is everyone, we are both supporting leaders and organizations in this pandemic to define the future of work and what this means for their organizations, people, and skills. I also know that you're a big fan of the title, The New Normal. (laughs) So I have to ask you this question, what does the new normal mean for you? And what are you seeing happening in today's landscape? There's a controversial question. To start, <laughs> I only you ask know, controversial you questions. No, I hate it. No, I hate it. <laughs> One, I, I think there is no new normal. There is just normal is the first part of the answer to that question. I think the second part of the answer to that question is everybody by now, if they didn't believe me in the beginning, must recognise this is distinctly abnormal. <laughs> um, and the sooner we get back to something that is a little bit closer to a human experience, I think the better we'll all be. But in all seriousness, I do think the dial has changed a little bit. I think this has unlocked corporate thinking to think about different ways of working how the people, how the ways in which people network mm. and communicate with each other. And it doesn't all have to be from a single premises. But I'm also a big fan of the word balance. And I think mm-hmm. it's great to hear people like Spotify say anybody can work from home. But I think you and I both know teams work better when they network socially and in person. Mm. And so the word for me is balance, Susie. So mm. I think the future normal what we will evolve into will be a slightly better balance and that's Mm -hmm. on the hopeful side on the equation i just hope that what we're experiencing now in that particular respect isn't um, just a temporary uh, convenience for some of the corporations and they don't go back to old ways because i think it's been a big learning experience for good and for bad so i hate the new normal but yeah. I do think the, fir- the future will have a better balance between commute and not commute, physical presence and non-physical presence, mm. and more interesting ways of, of, of networking within your organisation. What does it mean for the role of HR in the workplace? Yeah, it's a, it's a small it's a, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> I, I, look, on, on, a, on a serious point, I think... What that means for HR, they will see a culture shift. Scale and extent of that culture shift will be dependent on on the appetite for the organization to change, their ability to change, and the products and services they produce and sell. But I think what it means is that things that consume the huge amount of time of what I would think poor HR, Mm -hmm. like absence and attendance, 
become not a thing at all going forward. Yeah, becomes the way that you measure and reward and appraise individuals becomes more achievement focused than input focused i think so i think they're they're obvious impacts uh, for Mm -hmm. hr but i also think the employee of tomorrow and the candidate of tomorrow will have higher expectations about that balance and i think Mm -hmm. they'll have higher expectations of the organization doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time so i think I don't want to go down the extremism path of employee activism, but I think you know where I'm heading with that. I think the pressure from their workforce will drive a little bit of a more flexible behavior because bad HR was all about process and not about output. And I think good HR is all about having the right output and then working backwards to say, what what, what do we need to do to deliver that? Mm. And how do you see HR functions equipping themselves for that? Because I agree with you, it should be output focused. And I also see the employing candidate sort of expectations changing, as well as generational expectations of the workplace, which for me has left HR in a little bit of a watershed moment. So how do you see them trying to bridge that gap? I think that they'll, they'll try and bridge it in a, in a number of ways. I think we touched on the word employee, words employee experience in the beginning. Mm. I think that could be a vehicle for it. Mm. I think in terms of the transition. I think you look more at a whole range of categories of people that engage with the organization. And so candidate experience gets a little bit higher up the agenda, employee experience, but also externals, alumni. Mm. I think they all they all have an impact on the brand yeah. of the organization. So I think the way HR will have to configure itself is to be much more reflective of that culture change. And as I say, much more output rather than rules-driven. And as I say, bad HR became about enforcement of rules and, you know, hmm. taking extreme pleasure <clears throat> in highlighting when somebody had broken broken a rule <laughs> or a policy or something like that and hmm. gave them a reason to exist. But I think in the new world order, as it comes out, they will have to adapt to be able to evidence and live and breathe the values and reflect the values and the purpose of the organization. So I think that's a big change for them. They can't hide behind much going forward um, because because it will be too fluid, Susie, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's massive. And and if I look at uh, what Agile brings with it in terms of ways of working and the governance and the change to operating models, what do you think that does for HR in terms of ways of working? Because, yes, they need to be more output-driven, Yes, they need to be adapt to new generations and new expectations. But what does that mean for the existing processes? If I take some of the top level um, processes that everyone knows, like recruitment, like performance management, like talent development. Again, I think it, you know, an organization's HR function should reflect the type of organization they are first and foremost. So mm. it shouldn't it shouldn't be just this result of the pandemic that drives that. But in terms of how they shape themselves, I think you'll have different generalists going forward mm-hmm. and more specialists. But overall, I think the function will be smaller. That's the okay. first thing. And I think, why is it smaller? Well, tools and technology and operational efficiencies take care of part of it. But certain certain activities, practices and processes become largely redundant mm. if, if the culture and the environment is right. So, so mm. there's that side of it. I think, you know, there are big challenges there for the function in terms of reward. How do you, you know, the things that we 
constructed reward systems around in the past and the things that we recognized and rewarded employees for the past mm. changing and, and far more difficult to measure. So I think there'll be, you know, a few experts, there'll be some real op- operational efficiency experts in terms of uh, shared services or, or service delivery of some sort. And then I think the role of a business partner, a term I, I, I probably don't like that much, actually, but I think... <laughs> Why not? The, Just tell me that. Why, why don't you like the term business partner? Because everybody's a business partner in the organisation. <laughs> mm. every, everybody should be that. So, mm. you know, everybody should be focused on the output of that organisation and what is the contribution that they can make to it. So I think it all... But it, I, I think HR business partner aligned to a specific division or section or unit or manager within the organization drives a little bit of a barrier about, you know, that collective ambition towards a common goal. I think, you know, things that have held big organizations back as being everybody competing with each other instead of competing with the market competition, Mm. not enough people working towards the greater good of the wider enterprise. So I think that that will reflect itself in HR, but I think it will end up with, very small corporate centers, very small number of experts in things like reward and certain aspects of talent management. It'll start to become much more expert in the services arena around, you know, exploiting the technologies around for the better of the betterment of the organization and the employees within it. And I think a bigger social conscience. So I think what we used to call, you know, CSR in the past, yeah. living and breathing and reflecting corporate values and purpose in the communities where you exist should become a bigger part of the HR agenda than it was in the past. And Mm. then with that comes all the other stuff that we've experienced through the pandemic about, you know, well-being and physical and mental health and ways of working and removing barriers to that. And then you get into, you know, all the common parlance and modernisms around, you know, neuroscience and all of that. So, so being more tolerant of a wider spectrum of, of categories of employee that can potentially do good. I think HR has mm. been very good at excluding people. Perhaps it needs to get a lot better at including people. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds a lot more inclusive and it brings me back to the idea of culture. And you said, you know, the collective, the greater good of the organisation. But today, most organisations are organised and rewarded and recognised on individual objectives. So that's more than HR, of course. But how do you see that shift playing out? I've always been a big fan of gain sharing mm. and, and and that helps to remove internal competition mm. and helps to encourage collaborations that help move the organization forward. So, you know, competition is great, but what about partnering people? And I think, you know, back to the HR question as well, mm. I think the HR role We'll have to partner more with other functions within the organization. So I think the internal boundaries and barriers yeah. to cross-functional collaboration, I hate the phrase, but <laughs> getting that, is going to become increasingly important. So if you took a subject perhaps dear to an HR practitioner's heart is how you onboard a new individual into your organization. Yeah then there are many, many components to an onboarding experience. You know, you've got the IT provisioning, you've got Mm. background and security checks, you've got health and, you know, assessments and well-being. You've got a lot of procurement provisioning as well in terms of phones or cars or office accommodation. You've got lots of environmental stuff to set up for people. So 
And I'm not sure the collaboration is there to make a common onboarding experience easy. So there's a there's mm. a very hard example of a very regular HR process in much in need of improvement. And I think COVID has forced that, the digital transformation of that process, but not necessarily the human collaboration part. So what do you think the effect of COVID is on that, that type of process? Because it, it's hard to onboard someone anyway, but virtually is even more difficult. I think it's all about effort. I mm. think, you know, communication and relationships within a business, it, it becomes a little bit corporate management speak. But <laughs> both of them require efforts. So if you break yeah. it down, if you're not having a good relationship with someone inside or outside of your function with an organization, what's going to fix it? It's mm. going to take effort, isn't it? Somebody, somebody needs to break the status quo and, and, and move the dial and, and push themselves forward. And I think with onboarding to your specific question, the people that have probably done it well, those that have really gone out of their way to say, okay, we need to create virtual buddies. We need to do mm. some coaching and mentoring in a virtual way. We need to be supportive. We need to replicate the canteen or the coffee machine conversation in a virtual way, um, but we need to work hard at it. It's not without effort. It doesn't mm. just happen. And it's very easy. I think, you know, probably you and I are both guilty on a busy day, not taking care of those sorts of things. You know, the pandemic has said, you have to, you have to make time for that, yeah. for it to work. And yeah. so I, I think that's an example of, of change in that area. And I think um, virtual working can become so transactional so quickly because, you know, if you are busy, you can just turn your screen on, ask what you want to ask, get your answer and turn it off again. I, th I think that's important because, you know, how do you, let's take team building and team co cohesion. How do you build virtual sort of psychological safety across a screen? I think that's more than onboarding, isn't it? I mean, I think it's, I hear a lot of leaders talking about that challenge of keeping their teams motivated, especially when they have hybrid teams where some people are in the office and some people are behind the screen. What do you think about that? Again, I just think you've got to work harder at it. You've got to have a great more level of empathy than perhaps you've had in the past. You've got to, you've sort of got to virtually walk a mile in somebody else's shoes to understand it. <laughs> You've got to recognise that not everybody wants to share their their home and their personal life, and that's okay. And those that mm. do, that's equally okay. So I think you know, two words spring to mind in in answering your question. One is one is trust, and the other is safety. You have to create that safe environment, and I think that safe environment only comes from building trust. And building trust, you that's got to be a, a sort of a demonstrable piece of activity for, 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 for each of us as an individual manager and leader to build that trash. It's, it's earned. It's not a given right. You can't mm. expect it to happen overnight. You've just got to work hard at it, Susie, I think. Mm. But it's not something you can be trained in either, do you think, or is it? Um, I think you can be made more aware of it. Mm. I, think, I think in this virtual world, the people who become skilled in it are lucky because it will come e become easier to them. Mm. Um, the people I feel sorry for are the, are the ones that are not that skilled in it and have to work hard at it. And probably it becomes a little bit less natural, a little bit more clunky. Um, mm. But I think if you're aware of it, at the very least, you can compensate for, for some previous failings. If you're not aware of it and it isn't highlighted, and organizations don't provide managers and team leaders and, and colleagues with, you know, hints and tips and techniques for, for dealing with with it. Because I think you're absolutely right. You know, if I think mm -hmm. of, a, of a typical virtual day, we're 
we're just scheduled meetings which are for a purpose and that isn't yeah. normal life is it no. in an office there's you pass somebody's desk or you overhear a conversation and you get involved or or somebody visits visits your office or your part of the building or factory mm. or whatever it is there's a dynamic there that is missing it's a very flat two-dimensional virtual experience and it's only punctuated by need to get involved in something so how mm. do you how do you create those you know incidental happy coincidences of two people colliding in a corridor and saying just the person I need to speak to because it was on your mind in that moment that yeah that's really hard to recreate I think yeah it is and you have to ring them today don't you you can't just recreate it like that even if you recreate it vir- virtually you have to make that effort to actually contact them absolutely and so you know in the beginning that probably becomes artificial yeah when when that behavior of are you free now free for a chat mm. or a virtual coffee or whatever it is that needs to sort of be practiced to become part of your virtual cultural norm if that mm. makes any sense at all yeah it does it does and i think that brings up the uh, the question of new skills um, I think there's a lot of new skills around outside of data and digital skills, but also sort of more human-based skills, human-centered skills. What do you think is the biggest skills challenge for HR moving forward? For HR, in, in HR specifically, a subject close to my heart, which I you know is technology, right? Yeah. So I think the ability to understand the capability, not only now, but in the future, mm. so you can exploit that for good. So I mm. think that's a skill. So I don't want to use the other digital skill set because that's meaningless. Yeah. Right? But okay. it's it's about understanding the technologies, their direction of travel and growth and enhancement and evolution, and thinking about how they can be better consumed and evolved. Mm. I think, you know, in a transactional sense, you know, um, robotic automation, that was just a fantasy in the past. It's a harsh reality today but not enough people understand it to take to extract the value from it. And what mm. that value should be, should be taking away the non-value added task and providing time and bandwidth for the individual to, to, to build relationships mm. and do more value added at mm. work. So there's, so there's that part definitely in understanding what the capability is. I think the other, the other side of the skill set is HR is really simple, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> It's it's not it's not very complicated to write down. It just seems it's very hard for some people to do. But but well, I think people are complicated, aren't they? That's why. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And and I and I think you know, to me, the skill set is about understanding the overarching business strategy and the sense mm. of direction and the you know the values and the purpose and all of that good stuff. The next part of that story is building a people strategy that supports it. Mm. okay so what do we do to to underpin and then when you get into the mechanics of hr it's from you know the attract select onboard develop train all of those things having the right people with the right skills in the right place in the right time that's the piece that should be really easy to understand Mm. difficult to achieve because you're right we're dealing with people workforce planning or workforce management becomes a little bit higher at the rank of doing that Mm. but the output of that should be a fit for purpose talent plan you know how many people do we have to train how many people do we have to develop how do we engage and motivate the workforce Mm. how do we evaluate how well 
we're doing in the this talent supply pipeline that we're mm. responsible for you know when it's working well if you know if we can't promote can we second and transfer people that we give them a breadth of experience when is the right time to to promote replace or exit people and so 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 the whole the whole machinery of hr be it transactional be it leadership development be it recruitment is all linked to that business strategy Hmm. we end up with a couple of hard business outcomes and they're either and the hard business outcomes are really simple aren't they they're either quality products and or valued services are the output of an organization and then the organization and the environment are unique so what is the human resource what is the people function doing in support of those initiatives Hmm. so that's why i say it's really simple you have a business strategy and we need to make quality products or provide quality services. What talent do we need? Mm. How many of what category? Where and when? Mm. I, I just think, I think you're right. And I think that is, is evolving a lot more quickly now because the half-life of skills is evolving more quickly and everything. But we hear a lot about we need a different leadership paradigm. Now, we don't have years and years to discuss this, but I would like to ask you what you feel about the new leadership paradigm. What, what shift do you see is needed in styles of leadership? Again, interesting. We we seem to we seem to worry about leadership an awful lot, and I know mm-hmm. they are few in number and big in impact of the decisions and their behaviours. So you know, let's not underplay that. But most leaders are pretty good at what they do because they they rose to the top to get there, yeah. either through fair means or foul. But mm. so I think we overplay that. I think I think there's a middle order in there. Mm-hmm. You know, the middle management, I don't think we put enough effort in there. They always seem to be either, either you know, falsely blamed. I was going to say they're always seen, seen as the barriers. blocker. Yeah. yeah, they're seen as the blocker or the barrier. Yeah. And that seems to me a fairly big pool of talent mm. worthy of exploiting because they've risen to a certain level. They haven't broke to the most, broken through to the most senior ranks yet but perhaps they're not valued as much as sometimes they could be. So maybe the leadership challenges is about getting the recognition balanced right across all, you know, that complete vertical slice of talent within your organization. That probably is that is part of the challenge. And I think the other part of the challenge is in a more sort of environmentally aware world, how do you ensure that, you know the the you know the values and principles that you've got on the wall mm. <laughs> lived and breathed by yeah. that vertical slice. It's not just a plaque on the wall. It is actually, you know, in the DNA. And that that culture shift takes years. So we we've had a radical push because of the pandemic. Mm. So how do you sustain the positive gains we've made because of that radical change? And then how do you build on that so that it? And increasingly, as you know, each new generation of employee comes in, you move further and further up that to the to the point where you reflect the values and culture of the organisation. In addition to serving serving the customers of the products and service you produce. I was going to say, if I come back to your fit for purpose talent plan, then that would fit. You know, if the if the cultures and values are anchored into the processes of the organisation, which lead through to the business results, then that should flow, even if it evolves more quickly. Mm, yeah, for sure. Which. It doesn't always today, but I, but I think, you know, machines are not perfect, are they? But um, I, I do think there's a gap between the existing culture and organisations and what the pandemic has sort of put on top of that. How do you see that playing out in the HR arena? 
I, I think it plays out in in a couple of things that we we've already seen before, during, and 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 definitely after this pandemic. And I mm. think it, I think it comes down to a number of things in terms of the role that social media plays yeah. in terms of the way that various disparate groups and fragmented groups can can you know coordinate and connect and and uh, communicate and and how that plays out with this theme of activism yeah. be internal or external to your organization <clears throat> so be it people activism about a campaign a cause that's dear to their heart or employee active activism in terms of you know raging against the machine that you know mm. you're not living the values and the cultures that that I was I was led to expect upon joining this organization and I think we've seen a, a few big fallouts um, yeah. of senior players because they've not recognized that and they've not recognized the power of social media or the activism groups um, that's a new challenge that's a big challenge but it's also a big challenge for trade unions as well yeah you know how do they get their net worth Mm. When people can organise themselves now in a very fast modern technological world, and maybe mm. don't need the backing of a, a trade union to be their voice anymore, they can be their mm. own voice. So. I was going to say it creates system voices, and it's a different distribution of information and power, isn't it? So it's it's quite interesting to it see is. how yeah. how that's going to play out. Yeah, and and I think that will be a very fast moving feast. We've seen the impact on elections. We've seen yeah. the impact on senior people having you know having. <laughs> not spoken wisely on a zoom call and, and <laughs> had to leave yeah. and not living the the values and breaking their own rules that's going to be a biggie because it moves fast doesn't it mm. the thing about that is it from from a point of non-existence to there being an issue to being something that has scale and momentum that is just beyond our experience of you know that that is change at lightning speed isn't it yeah it's a little bit mind-blowing but we're back to your favorite um word of balance aren't we it is about the balance between these two priorities of it didn't exist and now it's huge yeah but but i also think that it wouldn't be an issue if organizations did live and breathe their values and their yes. purpose and their mission mm-hmm. because if you did that as an employee you shouldn't be shocked and surprised at what you find yes so yeah. if you could be authentic to yeah. use another piece of jargon. <laughs> you know I like my jargon. <laughs> yeah, and you do you do exactly what it says on the sort of corporate values tin. Yeah. And employee activism shouldn't be much of a worry for you. In fact, it could be a force for good. Yes. Yeah. Rather than pointing out your frailties and failings, mm. maybe it can just, you know, help you with that momentum. And mm. um, you know, we've talked in the past about um organizations that do good things in a good way. If you think yeah. of Brewdog has got a fantastic marketing campaign going, hasn't yeah. it? It's very, yeah. you know, it, it's very green oriented, it's carbon neutral oriented, it's volunteered its services mm. to, you know, the NHS to help with vaccination. Mm. Everything it does just plays to that mission and purpose. Now, I'm sure that mm. organisation has faults and failings as well. Yeah. But when you, when you get back to my word balance and you put it, on the scales, they're trying to do more good. They're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to reflect those values by their their practices and behaviours. Yeah, um, and it, it makes it very attractive. It does, and it, it gives it a very you know add to that the sort of youthful flavour of that organisation. Mm. They're doing a lot of things quite well, and mm. and of course back to something I mentioned earlier, reward. Yeah, um, they have a salary cap based on X times of the lowest paid employee. You know. Mm. 
Um, I forget yeah. the, I forget the multiplier, but they've got a very rigid multiplier, and that just mm. creates a whole new environment of fairness. Yeah, they're living their values essentially, but in a transparent way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, I think they're the things that you know. There's some great icons out there. Mm. The, the challenge will be when this is all over. Yeah, and the you know, let's face it, the corporate... Hopefully office, soon. <laughs> yeah, very soon, hopefully. But, but, but when, when it's all over, will the financial strength and well-being of the organisation mm. not be a distraction to stop them doing the right things? Or will they revert to type and just, you know, cut cost, you know, treat people like battery hens again and that sort mm. of thing? You know, that, that's my worry. Corporate memory is very... Very, 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 mm. very, yeah, very small and, and short-lived. So hopefully they take the good things out of that and we don't go back to some of the bad things. Um, yeah. But it's not a new normal. It's just evolution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's and, and like you say, it's not a given. Maybe the, their memory will be a little bit short, but I'm hoping that it will have some impact on opening up the organisational culture. Okay, time is running. I have one last question for you. What would your call to action be? for leaders looking to start enacting this transition uh, within the HR function from the current situation to where they need to be more outcome focused? I think give them the freedom to act. encourage them to use the voice they already have. I was about to say, give them the voice. They already have a voice. They <laughs> yes. don't choose to use it in the right way. Mm. So encourage them to bring to the top table, you know, their true voice, what they mm. genuinely believe in. And I think we also talk about diversity I'm not sure that's always well understood. And I'm no expert, Susie, but mm. but I think diverse backgrounds in terms of education, in terms of social background, you know, as well as, you know, the the, the various demographic changes in yeah. there. True diversity mm. is, is a complete mix that brings that diverse thinking. And I think they should be encouraging HR and, and their leadership in general to, mm. to work with HR to encourage that. And if you can get, that type of diversity um, right through the vertical slice of talent within your organization, that's going to be a great place to be because all voices will be heard. All voices will have a place. All voices will have an opportunity. Mm, Powerful. I'm going to leave our listeners with that last thought. John, thank you very much for sharing your insights and experience with us. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? <laughs> my mum, my mum is a great <laughs> of PR and marketing. So, uh, they can find me on they can find me on LinkedIn, but that's the that's the easiest place. And anybody that wants to reach out and connect and have a virtual coffee, always happy to do so. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, John. All right, thank you, Susie. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and your review. So it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk.